Hello, welcome to From the Platform. I'm Naomi and this is... Tom, hello. Hello. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about tribes and tribalisation and how our tribe can affect our beliefs in a very powerful way and maybe in a way that makes us feel a bit uncomfortable. But first, a word from our sponsors. I'm not sure if sponsors is appropriate. I think it's <laughs> no, partners. <not> really. <laughs> partners. We've got news that the WCF, which is the Williamsburg Christadelphian Foundation, is partnering with From the Platform. Going to get out to a wider audience and uh, support us with some of the running costs. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yes. So that means we're going to be talking a little bit about what those guys are up to. And this is their intro bit. The WCF is a Christadelphian non-profit that supports faith-building initiatives and sponsors a range of media projects to encourage and support the Christadelphian community. You can see how we're already hand-in-glove as partners with from the platform. So go and check out wcfoundation.org. They uh, have another podcast called A Little Faith, and their latest episode is a discussion on how to handle mental health issues in our ecclesias, which sounds fantastic. Um, definitely the sort of conversations we need to be having. So check that out. Yeah, definitely will. Right. So yeah, on with our podcast. Yep. So today's episode is about tribes and tribalism, trying to promote some self-awareness around when we maybe just are aligning to a tribe's way of thinking, because that psychologically is very important to us, rather than deconstructing things and thinking for ourselves about a topic by looking at the available information and digging through some things. So we're using this word tribe, mm-hmm. and it's just another another word and another framework to view what we've already been talking about throughout this podcast, really, which is essentially how groups work and what the dynamic is like within groups. Mm, and how we communicate and understand each other. Yeah, so what level we're talking at, what moral foundation we're thinking about. And I think the, the tribe is also an important one as well, whether we're thinking in line with our tribe or whether we're kind of actually maybe stepping outside of our tribe and what, what I think. And when we're saying tribe, we're not talking about like a militant Neanderthal mm-hmm. football hooligan group. We're not hitting each other with clubs. No, we're just talking about like the social group that you belong to that are bound together by a worldview that can get along with like the smaller differences. The tribe is really important because it's how you move through the world. Like you can do more in a group. That's why people get together and start political parties or start campaign groups because they can do more as a unit than they can mm-hmm. on their own. And they put together a statement or a, a mission statement. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or a constitution that says, mm. this is what our group is doing. And we're going to use this constitution, this mission statement as a vehicle to move forward to make change in the world and it kind of works the other way as well that um a group itself can't move forward unless they have agreed on a fact altogether mm, which yeah. does mean that you have to be realistic that we can't just keep you know critically analyzing every single truth and every single fact that yeah. we think we know or separating out into smaller and smaller groups yeah, that yeah. Have become less and less so effective. you do have to be slightly reductionist in that cool this is the thing we all vaguely agree on mm. and now let's all just move forward Moving forward isn't necessarily a kind of progress thing. It just means to have a common goal together. And for some mm, people, a common mm. goal is we stay the same, we preserve this precious yeah, truth, yeah. we hunker down, we wait for Jesus to come back. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. other people have a more sort of dynamic idea of moving forward and moving into new areas and doing yeah, new yeah, things. Yeah. So I've got two examples of where I think facts have been used inappropriately or misleadingly and to back up a group's confidence in themselves. The first one was when I was in Birmingham and I met some Muslim street preachers. And one of the things they said was, 
that because Muslims had increased in number, obviously God was behind them and they were divinely chosen because of the amount of people there were. And quite quickly I was able to say, well, that doesn't make sense because Abraham was just one person among thousands of people and you wouldn't have said that he was wrong because it was just him on his own. And the guy was actually like, oh yeah, makes sense. So that's an example of someone having a fact. There are X amount of Muslims and using that fact to back up their tribal belief that they are the religion of God. The other one was within Christadelphia on a preaching campaign down in Bournemouth, standing outside of a display that said, archaeology proves the Bible to be true, giving out these leaflets. This one guy walked past and was like, well, archaeology doesn't prove the Bible is true. It just says that it's accurate about some kings and locations. Mm. Might just mean there's correlation between yeah, certain things. Yeah. yeah. And I hadn't seen it like that mm. until he said it. And I was like, like oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, Yeah, because the... actually that's a really reductionist statement. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I understand why you'd use it in terms of preaching, because it's just to spark people's ideas and yeah, yeah. make but them But it's quite sensationalised. But it is. And also if you're brought up with those kind of headlines, being your Sunday school and CYC mm. talks and activities, without the kind of nuance of it explained... And especially when you're young and you don't have the critical analysis skills, that kind of thing. I do think it could be quite damaging. Yeah, yeah and, and I think if I wasn't more of an open-minded person and a bit of a millennial, mm. that person saying that could have really given me a bigger faith crisis than... Mm. Or you would have argued back, even... Because mm. I know when I was young, I would have argued back, but not actually knowing anything about it. I would have sure. just gone with my gut instinct yeah, of, yeah, yeah. well, this is what everybody else believes, so I'm just going to argue it. Right, yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. was very much a debate like, I've heard a couple of college. talks where someone's definitely said that archaeology proves the Bible true, and it seemed to make sense at that time, so yeah. I'm going to really like go, no, no way. Like, yeah, yeah. The, look at this um, Steely from Tarshish. Not Tarshish. <laughs> Steely, <laughs> Steely from, I don't know, wherever. It says the king of Edom's on there. And look, the Bible says that was the king of Edom at the time as well. The Bible is true. But then it's mm. like, oh, actually, no, there's still a jump between yeah. accuracy, historical accuracy, and then the Bible stories being literal or divine. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. it's a large, it's a big, big jump. There's a, a similar one came up recently with the tin found in Israel, which proves that England produced tin it's another step to then say that England is what the Bible refers to as Tarshish, which traded in tin and other goods. I think apes and peacocks are in there as well. And I don't see any of those. <laughs> well, peacocks, fair enough. Peacocks? Botanical gardens? But they're from somewhere else as well. Anyway, anyway <laughs> point is, it proves that England mined tin and sold yeah. it to the Middle East. It doesn't prove England is Tarshish. It helps mm -hmm. the case for England being Tarshish. One of the things I want to put across in this podcast is we have to be careful with our language. So when we were looking at facts, um, I came across two really interesting articles. One was by a lady called Lisa Charlotte Rost, who is like a, a data analyst. So she just wrote up her um, ideas about why why facts don't really convince people or why fact can be misinterpreted or people just believe things that aren't true, essentially. Um, and another man called James Clear, who wrote a really nice, succinct article on linking the things that you believe are, are um, strongly associated with your tribe. So he started off with a quote by J.K. Galbraith. Faced with a choice between changing one's mind and proving there is no need to do so, almost everybody gets busy with the proof. So it's much easier to 
carry on believing something that you believe rather than changing your mind. Mm. And can I say, like, I mm-hmm. think it just occurred to me that the sensationalising of a story like Tin Found in Cornwall mm-hmm. is to make it more emotional. It's to appeal to mm. your tribe. So it's like, look, we found this thing. This is more evidence that emotionally our tribe is right mm-hmm. rather than digging any deeper than yeah. that. Yeah, and I, was, I heard a programme on the radio about this topic a while ago. I can't remember what it was, though. But it talked about the fact that people's respect for authority is declining because we have, you know, leaders who are maybe saying horrible things and we don't like their conduct mm. and also that they're arguing against other politicians when it's clear that actually all they're doing is trying to stand up for their political party rather than what they actually think is right. And also there's far more... You know, you're able to get loads of information off the internet and all this kind of stuff. And it kind of it means that people are less likely to trust experts and facts and more likely to rely on anecdotes and emotions and things mm-hmm. that people around them who they identify with. Yeah, and that's interesting. So, like, with the internet, we're, we're, it's more likely that we're able to find other information that sits outside of our tribe's thinking that is going to elicit an emotional response from the Mm. tribe so it's much easier to provoke the core elements of the tribe in the who was a james clear article he quotes stephen pinker and he says people are embraced or condemned according to their beliefs so one function of the mind may be to hold beliefs that bring the belief holder the greatest number of allies so there's a almost like we're programmed to being groups aren't we yeah yeah exactly and and why and would that be that would be to to just, just because survival, there's safety in that yeah, there's yeah. security in a group mm-hmm. and you want to be in a group and agree with the group so you don't get kicked yeah. out of a group and, and also other people just work stuff out for you so you don't if you yeah. sort of like oh yes i think i'm a christian i believe these things i'm going to join a church community and i don't now don't necessarily have to work out every single tiny doctrine because mm. now i can i trust these people i associate with these people they're my tribe we've got bonds with them that are like mm. f- familial almost like yeah, yeah. Um, likewise if you're like an american conservative mm-hmm. and you're like Okay, here's my candidates. Everybody in my tribe supports Donald Trump. He's the Republican candidate. I'm going to go with him. And then all the things that he says, I'm not necessarily going to delve into them. I'm just going to say, yep, cool, I trust that. That's great. And if there is a niggling thing that makes you think like, oh, well, I think maybe climate change is a thing, but I don't dare say that at the the barbecue with all my other Republican friends because then I'll get kicked out. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. So it's that kind of thing of the article is suggesting that your priority is to maintain, is to Mm. to stay part of the tribe. Whether you know that or not as well it's not mm. saying that you you consciously like oh, yeah, this we don't want to make this accusatory and be like no, you are not. you are purposefully doing this out of self-interest mm-hmm. it's like there's there's an almost an, an innateness to what was that other quote that you said it's it's easier to prove something wrong that means you don't have to change your mind we're just faced with the choice between changing one's mind and proving that there's no need to do so everyone gets busy with the proof yeah it's so much easier to yeah. hold on to proving but, mm, why you think what you do rather than because changing, your mind. changing one's mind might mean having to step out of mm. your tribe and yeah, it's exactly, easier to yeah. stay in your tribe and mm. prove what you want to be true to be true exactly yeah um so he goes on to say that convincing someone to change their mind is really the process of convincing them to change their tribe mm. and i thought that was so powerful yeah I, so i have a similar thing whenever i have conversation with jehovah's witnesses um it always mm. comes down to the main difference between us and them which is the belief in a supernatural devil mm-hmm. 
in my mind, it's perfectly clear. Using the meta, macro, relative, micro thing, I can go, yeah, I know that actually Satan means adversary at the micro level. I know that at the relative level, there was that culture of demons, but it's used as an analogy. I know that within the text, within Job, you can make it fit in that it's actually Job's three friends that are at the position of the adversary. And so at my meta level, the devil is not a fallen angel, it's not a supernatural being, and therefore I fit in with my Christadelphian tribe, right? Mm -hmm. If I were to try and take a Jehovah's Witnesses meta, macro, relative, micro, all apart, show them at every level where I believe what I believe, they would still have to go home, as it were, to their tribe. They'd still have to go back into that place, and they'd essentially either have to reject that tribe to join our one, or try and change their tribe from the inside, mm. which is kind of impossible. Yeah. So I remember you saying that essentially when you're standing at the doorstep having this conversation with someone, it's not just a case of either you or the Jehovah's Witness going, oh, yeah, oh, no, yeah, you are right. Oh, that's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. It's nowhere near that simple. Throwing it's either you becoming a Jehovah's Witness or them becoming a Christadelphian, yeah. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. so much... Of a, in, and we're talking mm. there in really like literal practical terms, yeah, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Of a literal tribe. Yeah. But yeah, tribes can be a lot more kind of nuanced. But yeah. Um, so there was a lady called Lisa Charlotte Rost and she just had some suggestions as to why untruths or fallacies can really take hold within a tribe. So, for example, you know, like flat earthers or something like that. Mm. But then you could also think about things in our community that you've looked at, so like a sensationalist video or maybe a talk you've listened to or a comment that someone's made. You think, actually, I don't think I don't think that's right. And I think that's just something that has come from somewhere and it's resonated with a certain group of people. It's become something that the tribe believes yeah. or doesn't want to question. And it's become an embedded idea. Yeah, or because fact. it maybe backs up something that is challenging that is there's a potential that they would would have to change it if they looked deeper into it but rather than look deeper into it they've latched onto a sensationalist emotional mm. thing and yeah, maybe and backs up something that exists already yeah, yeah in a yeah, in a yeah. way and um, so see she suggests that like the initial Galbraith quote it's difficult to get rid of untruths because people don't want to that's the first thing that it's difficult to change your mind and it's mm. unsettling it's that cognitive dissonance thing um and the second thing i found really interesting was confirmation bias slash motivated skepticism so i'd heard of confirmation bias before so for example if i don't believe that climate change is a thing and i see a newspaper article about it my confirmation bias will say yep great that's definitely right look at mm. this i read it yeah that's fine look this person's got quotes they've got you know it's in a published um, magazine it's online it's mm. you know this must this is great this um this is a really reputable thing um so that's confirmation bias which most people are familiar with then there's motivated skepticism so i could look at exactly the same article However, it's now an article with a few um, of the facts changed and it tells me that climate change is real. So I look at it and as a climate change denier, I read it and I think, oh, no, oh, gosh, this isn't a very good. Oh, look at this website. This doesn't look very reputable. Like, who, who's even this writer? I've never heard of them before. Oh, these facts and figures. Anyone can make up facts yeah. and figures. They've got a couple of letters after the name. Cool, but they've got a Exactly. Few yeah. Yeah, so yeah. in this article by Lisa Charlotte Ross, she shows two articles next to each other that are almost identical. However, they just have a few of the words changed. So one suggests one thing and the other suggests the opposite. Right. And whatever your 
your tribe or your bias already is, you will either have confirmation bias or you'll have motivated scepticism mm. towards them. And the other thing that she suggests perpetuate untruths are that you can find proof for anything, um, especially with the internet. If you think something is right, you will always find something to back you up. There will always be some level of truth that you can use your confirmation bias or motivated scepticism to convince yourself of. Mm. And the other so thing when is, you're saying truth, there you're truth in quote marks, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 So you the can thing always that find, you believe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the other thing is personality traits as well. It's kind of whether you're open or threat averse. And that's often what you do, isn't it? You Google it. You say, does someone else think this idea? Do I Basically, yeah. do I have a tribe out there on mm, the yeah, internet yeah, that, that um, yeah. I can be a part of? Yes, that'll do for me. I'll join mm. that tribe. Um, but yeah, and we can definitely belong to lots of different tribes. And it can be moments when our tribes overlap is when... Yeah, when we have real dissonance and we call things into question. So, for example, if in one church situation you think yeah no it's fine I'm, I'm happy with women not speaking I'm happy with women not taking an active role in church however then in your workplace there might be a very very different idea when you're having those discussions in your workplace yeah you suddenly realize you're yeah you have two two ideas or two beliefs that kind of contradict yeah and that can be quite an interesting one mm, but one will take precedent in one context and the other yeah, will take precedent in another context in another. and that can be quite disconcerting mm. it's interesting and mm. um, so tom earlier you were saying about you can kind of have tribes within tribes can't you so we yeah. have um like an overall kind of maybe label of being a christadelphian but you're a part of a certain tribe within christadelphian so like a certain group which believe very strongly that women should speak or a certain group that are very passionate about prophecy and believe that's the first thing we should be studying we should be working out dates and numbers so there's all sorts of kind of tribes within a tribe aren't there so the overall thing that we wanted people to take away from the podcast is hopefully not an existential crisis um, but increased self-awareness so that we can think about things that we believe or that we're listening to that we feel resonate with us and with increased self-awareness we can maybe reflect on those things and think to what extent do I believe that that is a fact or to what extent actually is it that my tribe believes this and I haven't actually looked into it I've just mm. trusted that this is my tribe I'm with them on these things so sure I'll be with them on these things and I do think that is really important because um, kind of fallacies and untruths can be really toxic and really mm. take hold and um yeah, be quite damaging. So in, in the Bible, you have lots of examples of people stepping outside of their tribes because God's called them to. Like mm. Abraham steps out of his entire culture and family because God asks him to leave. Uh, you have Paul the Apostle who is met on the road to Damascus and has you know, said, you're basically kicking against God's will. You need to stop and separate yourself. And Paul literally goes and spends like 10 years somewhere completely differently to kind of just like recalibrate away from his tribe, which is really important as well. Yeah, Paul is a really good example. So mm. when you're thinking about truths, Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. So mm. his truths were... Um, Had a Bible verse for every yeah, single point. Yeah, exactly. And like making that silly kind of law that meant that you didn't have to actually pay for your parents and yeah, silly things yeah, like that. Yeah. So Paul would have been so entrenched in all of those things. 
However, then he had, you know, a direct revelation. And also his his main thing was that Jesus was not the son of God. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then he has a direct revelation from Jesus himself <laughs> and then has to think, I have to change yeah, my mind yeah, yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And very literally has to change mm. drives from being a Pharisee and being the best guy ever respected by everyone to being one of a tribe that everyone hates and is trying to persecute. It's, yeah, it's a really yeah. dramatic example. With yeah. Paul. yeah. And so that's one of the compelling things about like the disciples and the very early Christians was that they, they did something counterintuitive in that they did not side with the strongest tribe that su- supplied them with social security and in-group purpose. They actually went with the much smaller, more vulnerable group and put themselves out on a limb mm. to, to preach this new message which actually would have included a lot more people and been more accessible to people which Mm. is really interesting the other really interesting thing is yeah paul and abraham and many bible characters have some sort of divine revelation that kind of slaps them in the face and and shows them they're wrong when we're having altercations with one another over things sometimes we wish the hand of god would come down and point out (laughs) clearly (laughs) that, that, (laughs) that this is the right way and that's the wrong way but we don't have that um luxury or if i don't know if you could call it a luxury psychological intervention and i think we're like like we've said before with the with the story of job we're, we're far more at a point where we're sat there with our friends and we're we're smacking our heads together because we're all too proud to listen to the other person or we're too proud to, to let things be we want to be right mm. and, and, and we're very emotionally your, yeah. attached to those rights and wrongs you can also have pride in your tribe as well can't mm. you you can be kind of like oh here's an idea that i've got oh look here's a secret facebook group where everyone's talking about it oh aren't we all really clever and you know there's a thing of like oh look at these clever people and oh yes we all believe the right thing let's look down on these silly people mm. who aren't in our group Mm-hmm. so there's a real kind of a pride thing there as well yeah and culturally that's exactly what happens like when christianity looks back on paganism it, it looks back at it as infantile and stupid when science progresses in quote marks out of religion it looks back on religion as infantile when postmodernism mm. comes and looks back on science it sees that as infantile mm. and we're continually like having cultures look back on the other as stupid and wrong mm-hmm as opposed to like maybe looking to them and listening to them for their for the nuances. Maybe that I takes. I feel like we say take... nuance a lot in a podcast. Oh, that's because we're very liberal. <laughs> so the other Bible character that, at least in my reading of it, um, is a good example of this is Nicodemus. So he appears to mm. very clearly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, doesn't he? And he, mm. you know, goes out to see him at night and all this stuff, but is just completely hamstrung by his yeah by his tribe and by his social status Mm -hmm. he's just sort of like but if i believe this what on earth are they Mm going to do to me i'm going to lose everything what life will i have all that kind of thing and these are examples of very sort of physical tribes aren't they but yeah. yeah and another one would be ruth where she literally leaves her tribe moab to go to the to israel with this widowed woman that she's yeah, and it's love that reason. convinces yeah. her, doesn't it? Because she really, really loves Naomi. She sees yeah. something in Naomi that's really yeah. inspirational. So that that is, and that's a really inspirational story because Ruth hasn't had a divine um, uh, slap in the face. She's just in, like, Inspired she's just loving someone. somebody, yeah, and, yeah. and in that love, she's walking alongside them, which mm. is pretty powerful. Um, so, in terms of 
recommendations that we have. For me, it goes back to that statement from the James Clear article. Convincing someone to change their mind is really the process of convincing them to change their, their tribe. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to want to be in somebody else's tribe mm-hmm. in terms of a particular belief if they're shouting at you or oh, they're yeah. belittling you yeah. or if they're someone who's being really defensive. Yeah. It needs to happen through friendship because mm-hmm. we're not going to have the hand of God smiting someone down. It's going to be more of a Ruth and Naomi type thing when actually mm-hmm. you're really inspired by someone and their example to think actually I'm going to rethink that because mm. look at that person that person is so passionate or that person is so yeah. humble away the way, and the way it they really act. Gently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um James Clear gives the example of you know sharing meals with people, not distancing yourself from other people because that means that it's much mm. easier to think of people as other and we talk about this a lot don't we the yeah, idea yeah. of you know the decision of what meeting to go to or whether to leave somewhere and join another group is so complicated. Yeah, it's like well I'll just start my own tribe. Like, yeah, I know some yeah. people that I could kind of get to come yeah. come along to my tribe and I'll, yeah, that's just another. Hmm. And sometimes people need to do that. And it's really important to acknowledge that some people just really, you have to do that to kind of save your sanity or your faith or or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. Um, however. The ideal would be to. Yeah, but the idea yeah. would also would be in some way to make sure you don't polarise yourself. So, mm-hmm. OK, maybe I'm going to join this group of people or I am going to leave. However, I'm going to go back and go to their their fraternal that they do or go yeah, to their yeah, shared yeah. meal so we can all maintain a friendship. Or, you know, I saw someone's post on Facebook. It's not something that I agree with. I'm a bit concerned the way they've written it is a bit misleading and that maybe I, I think that's a damaging thing to perpetuate rather than sort of maybe shouting at them via Facebook. It yeah, would be yeah, yeah. inviting them around for food, getting to know them, going out for a coffee, just sitting next to them at the meeting, yeah, yeah, yeah. bringing yeah. up other things first. And then it's through friendship. Once you mm. have a relationship with someone, that's someone that you might be able to bring something up and then actually start to consider it. Um, one thing that I'd like to point out is, and just kind of ties it in with our other podcasts a bit more. So we've been talking about the levels of abstraction and there's that whole like system in place there that scaffolds our meta-narrative worldview sort of thing and once we found other people that share our worldview that share our structure within our levels of abstraction we form a tribe with them and when something comes in that jeopardizes that tribe we're more likely to look across and get support from our members in our tribe to like Mm -hmm. encourage each other and be like right then no we all believe this let's ignore that we can't let that come in and and, and destroy our tribe we've got to stop it at the door yeah, we're definitely right aren't we yeah, yeah. we're we're all right you, you you still believe that yep you still believe that yep okay then that idea push it out get it get rid of it eject it it's a pathogen so we're more likely to do that than go oh look there's some more information here let's see how that resonates with our meta narrative does it harmonize with it uh no it doesn't harmonize with it why doesn't it harmonize with it let's pick apart and that's a much harder thing to do mm. it's very hard to do in yeah, fact it's time it's damaging to the as group well. as well yeah. isn't it which is a very difficult thing yeah it's also important to pick out that actually that's what early christadelphians did was they were part of the mainstream church but they didn't agree with things like heaven going the devil and the trinity because of a different set of information and they allowed that information to come in and restructure their thinking and reshape their faith Mm -hmm. and make sense of it all in a different way that then separated them from the mainstream they actually formed you know they formed the christadelphians they formed their tribe 
the same kind of time period that the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists did a similar thing. It was like a bit of a mini reformation. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you need to take the emotion away, don't you? Like your tribal instinct is an emotional one of this is my security. This is my family. This is my purpose. I'm very emotionally attached to it. And so when you can actually detach yourself emotionally from your tribe, that's when you kind of can get a, a clearer way of reordering mm, things objective objectively. Things. That's where this whole thing about facts comes into it. It's because all facts are objective, but you look at them through the lens of your tribe mm -hmm. as to whether you'll accept them or not. And yeah, in terms of the history of Christadelphia, so I would I used to kind of think to myself when people were appearing to me to be closed-minded about things. I was like, oh, come on, you think you're a Christadelphian. So, you know, Christadelphians are based on a group of people who rejected some of the main doctrines of the church and kind of stepped yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. However, I'm less convinced by that anymore because I, I'm thinking more that the early sort of Christadelphian figures did do these really radical things. I think they were sort of like really radical, maybe quite odd people yeah. <laughs> who lived in an extraordinary time. Yeah, yeah. When So all of these things kind of came together to agree and align on these new doctrines and start this new church. However, then I think the church almost instantaneously became an incredibly insular tribe. And because it was so different, almost found solace in we are different which is where a lot of the mm. stuff still turns up yeah. doesn't it like yeah, we don't yeah. call ourselves a church we don't you know even organ music was frowned on initially and sure and we don't read anything that's not christadelphian books mm. it suddenly became incredibly insular and was a very very powerful tribe meaning that people then didn't question things so you had an initial couple of people who questioned everything however yeah. then i think very very quickly you just had a group of people who just believed what they were told because they were in a very very insular powerful yeah. tribe i think that parallels first century church in a way because there's this explosion of like newness within the first century church but then they're immediately dealing with tribal issues mm. like i follow paul i follow apollos the alexandrian church you know these factions already these tribal think groups forming almost immediately and it, yeah i wonder if there is something in that kind of it takes some oddball extroverted person to like just break the chains from the tribe send things flying re-piece it all back together but it just becomes just as solid and and impenetrable yeah, as it before it kind of starts all over again yeah. yeah okay so i want to add something in here at the end here um that kind of delves into the idea of just how dramatically the scientific method has changed our way of thinking when it comes to facts um since the like the last two or three hundred years is when the scientific method has really kind of come to the fore and taken the lead in thinking uh, ever since galileo through to like isaac newton we've come to understand that to get to like the concrete truth of a matter we have to remove all subjectivity and all emotion everything that our tribe brings to decision making the scientific method is the antidote to that and says, like, if we want to get conclusive, concrete evidence, we actually have to kind of go through this process of testing mm -hmm. to make sure something happens every single time to get to a concrete fact. So the scientific method removes all subjectivity and emotion so that it won't affect our reasoning when we come to use that information to make a decision. And I think like marketers have become really conscious of the power factual information has and how much trust we place in it these days. That's why like, you get those ridiculous 
adverts where you've got some shampoo and there's like particles mm-hmm. whizzing around in like a computer generation and someone in a lab coat saying like science there's something about that that makes you just go well you can see through it now mm-hmm. but it affects a lot of people and that's because we love facts and we love facts obtained by the scientific method because if we can confirm something and make it concrete then we can just park it it doesn't have to bother mm-hmm. us we can depend on it it becomes trustworthy and true we love it when something is a hundred percent true it can be set in stone you don't have to keep on checking on it and you can build upon it and i think it's interesting that Christadelphian culture comes out of a period of time that is steeped in modernism and industry and where the scientific method has really taken hold. That's what we built the Industrial Revolution on the back of. You can make those great big machines because you can do all the maths and find those concrete truths in the world and develop stuff. And Christadelphia kind of comes out of that time. And it's a time where people actually thought science would solve everything, like you could get to a single truth about any topic and you can eventually prove all things. Mm-hmm. Now, it could be argued that we as a community have carried this idea forward. We're, we're kind of born out of this time period, but in a way that is very lazy, like with the archaeology proves the Bible true statement, which is quite misleading and glosses over kind of a closer inquiry. It's kind of a lazy can I, kind of can science. I yeah. So... I'm not sure about this because what we've been talking about is the fact that we don't follow actual facts. We follow tribalism and our emotions and stuff. So I think when you see a shampoo that has science stuff in it, you don't buy it because it's got the science stuff in it. You buy it because your friend recommends it. Like This feels like it's contradicting everything we've talked about so far. Um, I feel like we're a complex layer of things, aren't we? Like I think we're primevally that tribal thing, mm-hmm. but this phenomenon in the last, like, 250 years, is, like... There are things that can be proved. Yeah, we can find facts. And this so is quite is... a new thing, relatively mm. speaking. So um, what's the... How does this relate to tribalism and people's self-awareness of being aware of how? Well, so, well, this is it. When we get lazy, we use our... We find facts to back up our tribalism mm-hmm. rather than facts for the sake of finding the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a, there was a phenomenon especially in the Western world, starting with Galileo and Isaac Newton and coming to the fore in like the 1700s, 1800s of science proving everything and people really getting on board with that and so many discoveries, so many things happening and that really becoming part of the consciousness of the Western mm-hmm. world that if it's got science behind it, then it's absolutely trustworthy. And so mm-hmm. as Christadelphians, about, yeah. we will sometimes say, Look at this. This proves something. This this is proof. This is hard factual evidence when actually that's just pandering to tribalism rather than mm-hmm. actual science or actual scientific inquiry, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. So for all of our like wanting to stay separate from the world, we have kind of wholesale jumped on the bandwagon of the scientific method in some of our preaching and even more so onto the bandwagon of abusing the scientific method, using it more to back up our tribal emotions rather than to challenge them. Now, the Bible predates the scientific method, clearly, by like thousands of years. Its authors and its listeners were simply not interested in scientific fact or aware of it. They were more concerned about what you do in the world rather than what the world is. 
They're not necessarily. Science at the time was philosophy as well. Yeah. yeah. So they're not necessarily interested in what matter things are made of, but how you action yourself in the world. And it's my opinion that the Bible is a book about how to move through the world, not a book of facts about the world. I think it's kind of their stories about how you interact with each other, with your God, and attain a future that is aligned with God's. So despite this, we have in some cases applied this objective proof idea to the Bible. So for example, if we start looking for whether it's physically possible for a man to survive for three days in the belly of a fish, we make two mistakes. We first take our focus away from the important lessons about the, the, the story, the transformation process, the trust that the story presents. And secondly, we block other people's access to those important lessons by putting up this ridiculous Victorian era conjecture about how we could possibly prove it actually happened as a real event. We're, we're gatekeeping the wisdom of the Bible by putting this massive Victorian door on the front of it that says, well, let's all think about how Jonah survived physically in the whale by guessing Mm. how that could have possibly happened and, and it's speculating about and the size the of the of creation was definitely the way it happened and... yeah yeah so our evaluation of information about early cosmology is equally as brushed over and ignored due to the distance it causes and the work needed throughout the community to harmonize it with our beliefs so are you kind of saying that a tendency towards trying to prove things as fact and putting a scientific spin on it is also something that your tribe can try and convince you to do. Mm. Um, so pot potentially now the the misuse of facts or things that are put forward as facts, such as you can live for three days in the belly of a whale. If your if your tribe believes completely in the inerrancy of the Bible, then you're influenced by those kind of facts because it means because you need to prove those things as true in order that the Bible is completely and historic, historically accurate. Mm. Um, and yeah, and kind of proving that the, there was a way that light could exist before the sun was made and things like that. Or kind of yeah, but culturally, to make... the authors of the Bible had a very different cultural mindset to us in terms of they, they didn't have any expectation to create a CCTV video of events. It was, they're structured in order to provide you with a way of moving through the world mm -hmm. not to tell you what the world is made of mm. so in your view trying to pin things down to things that you can prove empirically yeah, is a yeah, yeah, yeah. is a poor way of yeah, reading yeah, the bible yeah. and interpreting it yeah okay so i want to read this thing that jordan peterson writes about facts because he says something interesting in the idea that the facts don't tell you what to do with the facts. You, you do need facts, but you also need the emotional tribal thing to move you forward in the world. So he says this. What the world is, is a collection of objective phenomena. Once I'm left with the value-free description, the fact, it's very difficult to extract out a value proposition from that. But the world isn't just made up of inert matter. It has living conscious creatures in it that are a different order of being. Humans are not just... Yeah, we're not robots. Yeah. yeah. We don't just compute things. We, we have emotions. The fundamental issue for conscious creatures in the world is not what is the world from an objective perspective, but 
how is it that you should conduct yourself in the world? Mm. I think that's really important. There is an unbridgeable gap between those two domains of inquiry. Value propositions, however, are in the domain of the subjective. The idea that you could derive what you should be or do from a collection of facts is flawed. Collecting the facts themselves gets rid of the value structure, gets rid of the emotion. And there is an infinite number of facts. So how are you going to pick which ones should guide you? You can't. The facts do not tell you what to do with the facts. You need something else to guide you. So he's saying that you can't just throw facts around. And so it's the whole thing of people just don't believe facts yeah. because there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's emotions behind it that yeah, are yeah, yeah. essential yeah. for living life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not computers. We don't just go with a series of facts. We also have very, very strong emotional pulls, yeah. which are often to do with a tribe mm. that actually influence us. Because otherwise, almost every day you would read a new thing and say, oh, OK, I'm not going to be a speech therapist anymore. I'm going to go and work for this charity because that's the best thing to do yes yeah, so, so for example if you're being really literal and you said i want to do the most good in the world i'm going to find you know vision aid is like the top one in terms of money that you donate to them the more reach they have so you're yeah. like cool i'll look on this website yep yeah, that's the charity i'm going to go and work for them the next day you check the ratings again and say oh actually no They've it's slipped a place it's um it's a mosquito net charity right then quit with these guys i'm going to go with these guys instead mm. that's not how humans work yeah in that analogy, you would you would start working for Vision Aid, and then you'd really like the person that you work with. You'd have loads of respect for your boss. Mm -mm. You'd really enjoy being part of that group. And you'd get on with their mission statement. Yeah, and you'd just be sort of loyal to it, and you'd plan things in the future. And so mm -mm. there's facts, but we're not robots. We yeah. are also yeah, 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 yeah. we are human. So I I would say what what the Jordan Peterson thing is saying is that. If we see something in our community that we think is a fallacy or an, un an untruth, we have to appreciate that, you know, if you'd have gone back to the person who'd organised that whole P2P thing and said, oh, actually, I think um, this is a misleading statement on our billboard, they wouldn't immediately go, right, get the black paint out, everybody go home, let's all yeah, send yeah, you yeah, home yeah. early, yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah, humans yeah. and we make yeah. irrational but, um, mm -hmm. but human decisions about things. So my thing that I would like to finish with in terms of our general theme of helping us to talk to each other more effectively, mm. thinking about how we have conversations with people when we maybe disagree with them and changing someone's mind is getting them to change their tribe on mm. some big things. The advice from the, what's his name, James Clear article is be kind first and be right later. And he mm. says, the brilliant Japanese writer Harukai Marukami once wrote... Always remember that to argue and win is to break down the reality of the person you're arguing against. It's painful to lose your reality. So be kind, even if you're right. Mm -hmm. So we've definitely reflected on this in the past, haven't we? With mm -hmm. the idea that there's a lot of fear that goes behind what people's belief systems are. Yeah. And if you're going to challenge someone on something, just bear that in mind that you're actually breaking down something that's very important to them. Yeah. So being kind is... Even and that's such a Christian message, right. isn't it, I think? Mm -hmm. You know, love your neighbour. Yeah, and then we ask, who is my neighbour? Is it the one that's in my tribe? It's like, no, it's not. It's no. that other person who we want to polarise ourselves yeah, yeah. from. <laughs> it's, that, it's that Samaritan idiot who thinks that well, this or that, that I totally disagree yeah. with. But actually, we want to be the person who, who shows them kindness when they get metaphorically beaten up. 
So in terms of recommendations, what we can actually do, our ideas were that we should monitor our language and be less dogmatic about things. So using things like this proves that or it is certain that Mm. are maybe not particularly helpful things to say and framing things in kind of how it appears to you. So the way the way I see it, or it seems to me that, so that you're kind of leaving it open for discussion, not kind of stating things really dogmatically. In the Lisa Charlotte Rost article, she has a section about how to believe more true things. So her first thing was avoid tribalisation. So I guess we're saying be self-aware about our are you just believing something mm. because it's... Because actually it's hard to avoid tribalisation. No, absolutely, absolutely. And but in I some think... ways you need it. Yeah, no, so we're not saying don't be part of a group because that's yeah. incredibly important to have a community. Um, but avoid tribal thinking, I mm. guess. Be mm. self-aware, mm. like, do I believe this because it's it feels right for my tribe or do I believe it because I'm actually convinced myself? So the stuff that we'd sort of been talking about, kind of avoiding being dogmatic and, and reductionist and that kind of thing. But she also said, show some skin. So show some vulnerability. If mm. you're talking to somebody, yeah, be vulnerable with them. Kind of say, this is something that oh, I feel like I should, I should think this, or I really feel like I should believe this or go along with this. But for some reason, it just doesn't resonate with, with me. Kind of really being clear about what it is that you feel about something. Um, and her other things were, which um, tie in very well with our general podcast themes, are listen to other people and try and find their hidden motives. Because actually, if somebody believes something that you think, actually, no, I think that's wrong or I think that's damaging or I think you shouldn't be teaching people that, they have a reason for thinking that. That is very mm, important mm. to them. So listen to them first and work out what's their hidden motive for thinking that. Good. Thanks for listening. Thank Again, you. check out the WCF's podcasts through their website again wcfoundation.org catch you next time bye bye